the miracle of Jesus, um, how he walked on the water and what he did with the uh, with the storm. So um, we're going to be having a think about um, when Jesus uh, walked on the water and the miracle that he performed when he did this. Now, I'm going to make a bit of an assumption that I'm, I expect that most of you um, will regularly go to Sunday school. I suspect that for most of you, your, your mum and dad's um, will be in the meeting. So I reckon that you will probably have a pretty good understanding of this story already that you'll have certainly heard about it and that you'll know about it. We're going to read the account uh, in, a, in a few moments, but what we're going to try and do um, with this uh, miracle is to delve a bit deeper and see if it points towards something um, uh, for us today. Okay, so we're going to try and uh, look at some of the deeper meanings uh, behind it. Now, I suppose we need to start by thinking about well, what, what authority uh, do we have to be able to do that? You know, can we can we look for something deeper in a story in a, in a miracle um, from uh, from what we know from from the Bible? Well, um, if we look at the uh, the eight signs of John, so we're going to be basing our thoughts from John's account of this uh, miracle. In the Gospel of John, so we know there's the four Gospels, isn't there? There's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And whilst there's lots of miracles uh, that are recorded in the other Gospels, in John's Gospel, he selects what, eight specific miracles, which are referred to as signs um, in his book. So um, it starts off with the uh, marriage in Cana, um, when Jesus um, turned the water into wine, uh, the healing of the nobleman's son, the third one was the healing of the man that was a, a paralytic. Uh, we then have the feeding of the 5,000, which precedes the miracle that we're going to look at uh, this afternoon. Uh, so we then got uh, Jesus walking on the water. So that's the fifth uh, sign in John's gospel. And we then got the sixth one, which is healing the man born blind. The seventh one is the raising of Lazarus. And the eighth one is the multitude of fishes after Jesus's death and resurrection. Now, you might say, well, why are we excluding things like Jesus's re resurrection, for example? And that would be a very good question. Um, perhaps we can think about that um, another time. But the reason why we highlight these uh, eight signs is that after the first one, we're told why these signs were given. So if you've got a Bible handy, I'd like you to open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John and the second chapter. I will be putting up um, lots of the passages. In fact, pretty much all of the passages will be turning up on the screen if that makes it easier uh, for you. But why are all these miracles performed and why were these eight specific miracles chosen by um uh, in the in the Gospel of John. Well, after the first miracle, after the first sign, which, uh, if you can remember, was the um, marriage in Cana, the water into wine. Um, verse 11 of John chapter 2 says the following. It says, this beginning of miracles, and other versions put in the beginning of his signs, okay, did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him okay so the purpose of these uh, miracles the purpose of the things that Jesus did and the great power that he showed which was of course God's power it was to show his 
glory and you might be scratching your head a bit thinking well what is what's that talking about what the glory of Jesus well the glory of Jesus is everything that Jesus stands for okay so it's about the things that he believed in and it's about the things that he's going to do it's about his character okay so all of those things are to do with Jesus's glory and um, he performed these miracles very very importantly there so that the disciples might believe on him okay so this was to prove the miracles that he did it was to prove that he was special it was to prove that he was God's son now do we see miracles today do we think do we see direct miracles today in the world if you put an answer on the chat if anybody would like to answer that do you think we see any direct miracles today anybody going to answer that nope 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 no that's right uh, that's correct we don't see any uh, direct uh, miracles today but do we see ways in which um god is working today or jesus is working today the things that we see in the world uh, Isaac Brown's put, yeah, and that's exactly right. So how how does God work today? What are the things that we see today that would give us confidence that God is at work? Well, the answer to that's prophecy, isn't it? Prophecy being fulfilled. I can see somebody smiling. I think they were just about to put the answer down. Um, so uh, we can look in the world today and we can see some of the things that God said would happen uh, from the Bible coming true, and that gives us confidence uh, in what he has said. But it still needs us to have faith, doesn't it? We still have to believe in the things that God has said. And belief in these miracles uh, requires faith. And we'll see that as a theme that, that, that comes out very strongly um, in this miracle um, this afternoon. And we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay, so hopefully these things that we're looking at might help us to strengthen our faith in the things of God and in the things that have been promised. Okay, well, let's go to um, John chapter six then, where this miracle is um, is recorded for us. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read. It's only just a few verses, and we didn't have an introductory reading, so. Um, John chapter 6, um, we're going to read from verses 15 to verse uh, 21. And again, it's there on the screen for you. So John chapter 6, verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to making him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the, into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh into the ship and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, it is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Now, as I said before, I'm hoping that you're all familiar uh, with that story of Jesus uh, walking on the water and how the disciples are in the ship and there was a great storm on the sea. 
and um, the uh, disciples were brought safely uh, to shore by the Lord Jesus. Now, we're not going to read all the um, comparative uh, accounts, but um, I am going to put them on the screen for you so you can see the additional detail that's made in the other gospel record. So if anybody's making notes, you might like to make a note in your margins um, that the uh, other gospel accounts is in Mark chapter 6 verses 45 to 56 and Matthew chapter 14 verses 22 to 36 and we will be having a look at the Matthew account uh, in a bit as well uh, and we find that all three gospel records um, give us the detail that Jesus goes into a mountain to pray and uh, he does that on his own okay so it says after the feeding of 5,000 there's a, a little bit of a discrepancy as to where this ship's going, which is quite interesting because um, John says he's going to go to Capernaum and Mark says he's going to go to, Be- to Bethsaida. And then Matthew simply says he's going to the other side. And we'll, we'll have a look at a map in a moment just to try and uh, answer that, that query. Is the Gospels contradicting each other or uh, are we missing something? Uh, they all emphasise that it's dark. OK, so it says when even was come or evening was come. Um, they were tossed around on the waves, so this storm arose. Um, there was wind that was involved, and the disciples remember they were fishermen, so they would have been used to going in a in a boat in Galilee. But they found it really hard to row against um, this storm. It was uh, very violent, uh, so the wind was contrary. Um, John tells us that they they rode for a long distance. They rode for 25 to 30 furlongs, which is about three to four miles. Um, I haven't worked that out in kilometres. What's that? It's about five or six kilometres. So quite a long way. Um, And they were rowing all night. Okay, Uh, so Mark and Matthew tell us that this happened in the fourth watch of the night. Does anybody know what time of day or time of night the fourth watch of the night is? There's a good question for you. I'll be impressed if somebody knows that. I'll keep talking while I look for the answer on the uh, on the chat. If anybody anybody knows that, if you don't, we'll come back to it later. Uh, we've then got this incident of Jesus. Uh, somebody's guessed midnight. No, it's not midnight. It's later than that. Um, anybody else having a go? Doug and Heather have put a hashtag for. Now, that's quite close. It's um, the fourth watch of the night is uh, it's later than six o'clock. Uh, so it's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. OK, so right in the middle of the night in the when it's at its when it's at the real it's the last watch. It's when it's at the darkest time at night. Um, so all the records talk about Jesus uh, walking on the water and how that. When they, when the disciples see Jesus from the boat walking on the water, that they are afraid, that it's something that that troubles them, um, that they're like, "What is this?" Um, Jesus then calms them down, as it were. He says, "Be of good cheer. Be not afraid." And then we're going to look at this, but Matthew records about Peter walking on the water and going out to try and meet 
Jesus. And it, and it tells us that when Peter tries to do that, and you'll, you'll know this part of the story, that Peter starts to sink. And Jesus, he cries out to Jesus and Jesus saves him. That We'll be looking at that in a bit more detail. Um, and then they all talk about how they came to the ship. Uh, Mark and Matthew talk about the wind ceasing um, and how amazed they were um, when Jesus performed this miracle. They thought this was something completely out of the ordinary, which clearly it was. And then it says in John's gospel that they made land and uh, in Mark and Matthew that they came to the land of Gennesaret. Okay, so hopefully that's um, just a, a, an easy to follow summary of the uh, three gospel accounts. But let's get our geography right, first of all, because remember there was this little problem. It was, where was the ship going? Was it going to Bethsaida or was it going to Capernaum? Well, that um, looks like quite an old map, that, doesn't it, of the Sea of Galilee. You remember the Sea of Galilee is up in the north of Israel. It provides the water that uh, feeds into the River Jordan and has that sort of snake sort of going all the way down the land of Israel into the Dead Sea. I've never been to the Sea of Galilee, but I understand it's a very beautiful uh, place. Uh, but can you see on the, on the map um, that up in the, the top, so up in the north, we've got Capernaum and we've got Bethsaida, and they're both in this area. I don't think you can see my cursor, but they're in this area up at the top here. And so um, the records are in accord that he was coming from the, the south uh, eastern area, I think, going across, or the disciples rather, going across the Sea of Galilee up into this north um, northwest part of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and this whole area is the land of Gennesaret to this north um, west part. So the, there isn't any contradictions there. Right. Now, we said that we wanted to delve more deeply into this um, subject. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at something called Bible shadows. OK, so we're going to look at uh, some aspects of this story, which perhaps point forward to something else to do with Jesus that tells us about his character, tells us about his his purpose. Now, the thing about a shadow is it gives you the, the outline of something but it doesn't necessarily give you the detail, okay? So, um, like, for example, we know that those two people there uh, are people, um, but we can't necessarily recognise them. We can't see their faces. You know, if that's a... I don't think it's a shadow of me. It's, I think it's a, a photo from somebody else. But you wouldn't be able to tell from my shadow, for example, that I have ginger hair, okay? You can't... You don't have that, that level of detail, from a shadow but nevertheless you might if you saw my shadow you might be able to tell that it was me because you could perhaps tell by how tall I was and what sort of build I was and that sort of stuff uh, as to who that shadow uh, belongs to. What we find in the Bible is that it's full of Bible shadows and echoes so there's the the stories in the Bible they're, they're more often than not pointing forward uh, to something else and that's one of the wonders of studying the Bible that we can see all these links and see all the things uh, how, it, how it points forward to so that's what we're going to have a go at doing um, this afternoon. Okay so what are the bits that we're going to to look at well we're going to look at seven aspects um, from this um, incident we're going to have a look at how Jesus went to a mountain alone we're going to have a look at the disciples getting in a ship uh, to go to Capernaum. 
Uh, we're going to have a look at uh, that it was dark. Um, we're going to be thinking about the storm and the wind on the sea. Uh, we're going to be having a look at Jesus walking on the water and what that might foreshadow. Uh, we're going to have a look at Peter trying to walk on the water and how Jesus uh, saved Peter. And then finally, we're going to look at um, how they made land and were safe. And if there's time, there might be a little bonus section, because if there's time, we're going to have another look at another miracle as well that's really similar to this one. And what we're going to try and do is use the skills that we're learning from this miracle and apply it to the other one. But we'll see how we go uh, for time on, on that. Okay, so um, the first one then is we're going to have a think about Jesus going up to a mountain to pray. Now, if you've still got your Bibles open, let's have a look at John um, uh, John chapter 6, and let's read verse 15 again. He says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they'd come to take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Now, I want you to note that it emphasises twice that Jesus was alone. So it could have just said that Jesus went into a mountain himself, or it could have just said Jesus went into a mountain alone. But it emphasises it twice for us. It says that Jesus went into a mountain himself alone. So there must be something quite important about that. And it, it's not very often that Jesus was alone uh, in his ministry. Normally there were crowds and crowds of people around him. But let's have a think about what this might point forward to, what it might foreshadow. Now I've put on the screen there a picture of a mountain or a hill. Uh, it is uh, referred to as a mountain. Now can anybody tell me, put it on the chat, can anybody tell me uh, which mountain that is? Does anybody know what mountain that is on the screen? Yeah, well done, Isaac Brown. So it is the Mount Olivet. Now, can anybody tell me what happened on the Mount? Well, lots of things happened on Mount Olives, but what's the what's perhaps one of the most important things that's hap that happened? on Mount Olivet. Anybody know? No answers yet. Okay, well, let's have a look then. Let's go to Acts chapter one. And uh, let's have a look at what happened on the Mount of Olives. Now, we know that this incident happens on the Mount of Olives because of verse 12. It says, then return they into Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet. OK, and so what's the incident that's referred to here? Well, it's in, uh, I'll put it up on the screen, actually. Uh, oh, Isaac's got it. Yeah, Jesus going to heaven. Yeah, well done. Uh, so let's have a look at verse uh, verse 9 onward so acts chapter 1 verse 9 and when he had spoken these things while they beheld he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up behold two men stood by them in white apparel which also said you men of galilee why stand ye gazing into heaven this same jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven 
So Jesus from the Mount of Olives, he ascended up into heaven and he left the mountain and he now is with God in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. So I'm going to suggest to you that in our miracle, when Jesus went into the mountain to pray by himself alone, it foreshadows Jesus ascending up to heaven, which is where he is now. And it's interesting that he went up to heaven and went up to the mountain to pray, because one of the things that Jesus does in heaven now is that he intercedes for our prayers. So uh, we're able to pray to God through Jesus uh, because that's where Jesus is now. He's in heaven. There's another little detail as well, because remember the reason why he wanted to get away from all the crowds back in John chapter six is that they wanted to make him king. And it's interesting that in verse six the disciples of acts chapter one and the disciples when they therefore were come together they asked him saying lord wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of israel so they wanted to make him king as well so we can see these these links here these shadows which uh, mirror uh, one another does that make sense to everybody can you see the link there is that is that clear yeah all got that thumbs up yeah cool okay right um Let's have a look at the next one then. So let's go back to uh, John chapter six, just for a moment. And so Jesus had gone up into the mountain to pray alone, but the disciples, they got in a ship to go to the other side of the lake. And they were all in this ship together. Now, would any, does anybody know or would anybody like to have a guess what the ship might represent? What might this ship foreshadow in our story anybody got any ideas what do we think the ship might represent no no ideas so i'm going to uh oh someone's putting something on looks like it uh, so if, perhaps give you a clue maybe have a think about noah's ark ah oh, yeah excellent yeah that's exactly right. Um, someone's put on the chat there, Kirsty and Ellie. Um, the ship represents the ecclesia. Very good. Which it's the meeting. Okay. So when we're in the meeting, we're we're all together, aren't we? And a ship. The idea of a ship is you you get on a ship to go on a journey, and uh, the meeting is going on a journey, and we're going to explore that uh, just in a moment. Um, it's, it's similar, as I was just saying, to, uh, to Noah's Ark. So you remember that Noah and his family were kept safe in the boat, along with all the animals, while the rest of the world was sadly uh, destroyed because of their wickedness in the time of Noah. So the, the ship, the, uh, which represents the meeting, the ecclesia, it's there for our benefit to keep us safe. So what's the journey that the ship is going on? Well, the journey is that we, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as members of the meeting, members of the ecclesia, we're travelling towards the kingdom, aren't we? We're trying to go to get to uh, God's kingdom. And in this story of the disciples going across the Sea of Galilee, they were going to a village called Capernaum. Now, if you get a strong concordance out and look at the meaning of the name Capernaum, Capernaum means village of comfort. OK, 
And I think that's a, a lovely description of what the kingdom is going to be like, because in all the difficulties of today, when we get to the kingdom, that's when all the difficulties of today will be gone away. So it'll be a time of comfort in the kingdom. And that's the journey that these disciples were on. They were uh, on their way to the village of comfort. They were on their way towards the kingdom. That's the, the foreshadowing uh, that we're looking at. Okay, on the chat, quick question. Um, if, you're, if you're all awake, is our journey towards God's kingdom, is it likely to be easy? Is it an easy journey or is it likely to be a hard journey? What do we think? Easy or hard? Hard. Yeah, exactly right. No, it's not easy. It's, it's a hard and difficult journey. Uh, and that's exactly what the disciples found when they journeyed across the sea of Galilee, because these were experienced uh, fishermen. They've been used to taking their boats out. But this great storm arose on the sea. The wind blew and the sea arose and they had to row incredibly hard and they didn't really make much headway at all, as we'll see in a, in a few moments, to try and get across uh, this sea. So we need to have a think then. Well, what does the sea, this sea that's um, in a state of storm, what does it represent? Well, come back with me to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah and the 57th chapter. And we're given the answer to that question. What does the, the sea uh, represent? <coughs> I've got two passages up there, but um, we're just going to look at the Isaiah one. So Isaiah chapter 57 and um, verse 20 says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, to the wicked. Now, in God's eyes, this whole world is wicked. The, the people in the world, they're not following the ways of God. And so the sea then, when it's in a state of uh, storm and the waves are crashing and the winds up, that's like the world today. That's the nations of the world today. And there's two ways that we can look at this. So um, the sea then foreshadows the difficulties in the world on our journey to the kingdom. We can look at this individually, but we can also look at it as what I've put on the screen as politically. So how it affects everybody. So the things that affect everybody in the world, they might be a war or it might be a famine or it might be a pandemic like this COVID situation that we're in at the moment. It's affecting the whole world and, and nobody's, everyone's looking for an answer. I mean, they think they've got this answer now with COVID, don't they, with this vaccine. We'll see whether that uh, that's right or not. We hope, hope that it is. Um, economic recession, there's a lot of concern about the economy at the moment. That's affecting everybody. Um, so when we are walking to we're on that ship with the meeting, going to God's kingdom, there are things that affect everybody. But also there are things that affect us personally. So uh, we might get ill. We might become very lonely. We might have a, a tragedy in our family. We might lose our job or something like that. So there's lots of things that can happen to us personally that are these difficulties that we encounter on the road to God's kingdom. Okay, um, let's go back to John chapter six then. Let's have a look at the next detail because this is kind of 
connected to it. Um, all the records make uh, reference to it being dark, that it was in the evening. So what do we think darkness represents in the Bible? What's darkness to do with? Can anybody tell me? It's in contrast to light, isn't it? So you might like to think what light might represent in the Bible. What does darkness represent? Yeah, that's it. So evil or the lack of God's word. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. Uh, yeah, very good, Bethany. So uh, evil. Yeah, fantastic. And Jesus describes himself as the light of the world. And you know, with Jesus, he, he never did anything wrong. He was sinless, wasn't he? So Jesus uh, was the exact opposite of darkness. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And the longer Jesus is away from this world, the darker it becomes. In fact, there's a, we won't turn to it. But there's a prophecy in Isaiah um, that, that tells us about the coming of Jesus. It says the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shine. And that was a prophecy about the coming, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry that we are we're thinking about. And the world around us today is very dark, isn't it? It's uh, a very wicked world that uh, we are in at the moment. And in the night time, the darkest point of the night is just before the sun rises. I don't know if you know you know that, but um, so right in. So we're talking about so well, the sun rises quite late now, doesn't it? I think it's starting to come up about quarter to seven, something like that. Um, but the if you remember the the disciples, they were rowing in the fourth watch of the night, and I said that was between three a.m. and six a.m. That's the darkest point of the night. And they'd been rowing all night. They'd been toiling the whole evening and not really getting anywhere because the wind was uh, contrary to them. And they were absolutely exhausted. Uh, and they must have thought, well, are we ever going to reach our destination? Are we ever going to get to um, the land? And sometimes our journey to God's kingdom feels a bit like that. We just think things are going on and on and on and on. When will Jesus come back? Well, when things are at their worst and it's their hardest, that's when we expect Jesus to come back. And it might catch us unaware, so something to be uh, aware of. But I think the, the disciples at this point, I think they were pretty much at their wits end. They were very tired from their rowing. It was dark. It was a great storm about them. It would have been very frightening. So um, the darkness then, it foreshadows a wicked world without Jesus. But then what happened next? Well, then they saw something completely amazing. They saw a man, which they later realised was Jesus, walking out onto the water in a great storm with the winds raging around them. And Jesus had been up in the mountain. He'd been in prayer all night, but all the time he was able to watch the progress of 
the disciples. So he knew what they were going through. And now he comes out onto the water. He walks on the water to make sure that the disciples were safe, to make sure that they were Okay, and it's an incredible miracle, isn't it? You know, none of us, Uncle Stephen, before we started, asked if we were going to demonstrate this uh, this miracle. Well, we can't do that, can we? None of us can walk on the uh, on the water. Well, certainly not without some sort of buoyancy aid. If we try it, we sink. Uh, that's pretty obvious. Um, but we need to think about, well, what does this, this amazing miracle that Jesus did, what does it foreshadow? What's it trying to tell us that Jesus was able to walk on the water well let's go back to the prophecy of Daniel okay because remember we said that the the water the sea represents the nations okay and here Jesus is walking on the sea it's like he's walking on the nations so in Daniel chapter four uh, we've got this uh, brilliant verse which we often quote on a Sunday night at our uh, Bible talks Uh, Daniel chapter four, verse 17 says the matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand of the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdoms of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. So what that verse is telling us is that God is in control of the nations. And now Jesus is acting on God's behalf. And we'll see that when he returns to the earth in the same way that Jesus will set up God's kingdom upon the earth and that kingdom will replace the kingdoms of men. And so Jesus can walk, if you like, over the nations. Yeah, I hope you can see that uh, because he is in control of them. He's more powerful than them, even though the nations of the world uh, don't realise that today. Uh, And we've got loads of prophecies that are being revealed to us that give us proof that Jesus on God's behalf is in control of the nations today. So things like Israel returning or the Jews returning back to the land of Israel. That was prophesied well over 2000 years ago, happened uh, in 1948, 1967. We're we're on the cusp of, um, well, we have had Brexit, haven't we? It has happened. They're still negotiating a a trade deal but we believe that's a bible prophecy as well and there's there's many others that we can think of also so jesus is in control of uh the nations okay so jesus walks out onto the water well let's have a look at uh what happens with peter we need to go to the other uh gospel um passage about this we need to go to matthew chapter 14 let's have a quick look at that Matthew chapter 14 because it's this gospel that records what happened to Peter and it's really interesting so Matthew chapter 14 Jesus is um, walking out onto the water and he has a discourse with Peter so let's go in at verse 20 Eight. Well, verse 27, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. So he reveals to them that it's Jesus. Verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now that's amazing, isn't it? To think that Peter 
Jesus said, come. And Peter was given the power because he believed in Jesus. He was given the power to step out onto the water and walk towards Jesus as well. And in our lives, when we're 100% focused on the things of the kingdom, when we're spiritually minded, the difficulties of this world all of a sudden disappear and we can be completely focused on the things of God. And that's what Peter was. He was really focused on the things of God and, and looking to Jesus. But then he started to doubt. Look at verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. So this is like the pressures of the world coming crashing in on Peter. The waves were too big for him. He didn't think he was going to be able to cope. And he starts to, to, to sink. He starts to sink into the water. And, and the reason why this is happening to Peter is because there's a moment here when he loses his faith. He loses his faith in the Lord Jesus. And so what does he do? Well, he cries out, Lord save me and just look what Jesus does in verse 31 see there's no hesitation with Jesus verse 31 and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him oh thou of little faith wherefore didst thou doubt okay so immediately no hesitation uh, Jesus helps him and saves him so this little incident then with Peter it foreshadows um, the help that we can have today if we ask for it. So Peter's really struggling. He's sinking into the water. He shouts out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And Jesus does save him immediately. I want you to note this passage in James, because if we go to God in prayer, there's a way that we need to do that. James chapter one, verse five says, but if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and embraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And I wonder if, if James was thinking of Peter uh, when that was written under inspiration. There's a very strong link there, isn't it? So when we go to God in prayer, if we through the name of the Lord Jesus, if we ask in faith, then God will help us and uh, answer our prayer. And it doesn't matter what our problems are. It doesn't matter what our difficulties are. We should take them all to God in prayer. 1 Peter 5 says, Humble yourselves therefore unto the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So that's an important lesson there we can learn from Peter. But the other lesson I think we can learn from Peter is, is this. And that's because when Peter sinks into the water, it's a bit like baptism, isn't it? There's a little shadow here of baptism. Because when we're baptised, we go down into the water and figuratively it's as if we're going to die, isn't it? And then we come back out of the water and new to a new life to follow the Lord Jesus. And when uh, Peter sank into the water, he shouted out, he cried, Lord, save me. And in effect, that's what we're doing when we're baptised. We're baptised into the name of the Lord 
Jesus Christ. And Jesus's name means God's saviour. So we're asking Jesus to save us when we are uh, baptised. Now, baptism is really, really important. And if some of you are thinking about being baptised, don't delay. Uh, If you're ready and you've come to an understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ and you uh, want to follow him in your life, it's the best decision you will you will ever make. And, and don't worry if we can't have baptisms uh, with large, large gatherings in our halls at the moment. Uh, that's not a reason to delay uh, being baptised. Um, if you've not thought about being baptised when you're at the right age, then uh, that's something to give some serious thought to. And so Peter sort of follows, perhaps just as a little foreshadowing, the, the type of, of baptism. Okay, we're nearly there. Um, What about the winds ceased and they made land? That's what it says here, doesn't it? In verse 32 of Matthew chapter 14, it says, And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Okay, so suddenly there was this beautiful calm on the Sea of Galilee. Well, just for a little bit of detail, and it's quite an important bit of detail, just come to John chapter 6 again, because there's another miracle. I don't know if you noticed it. There's another miracle in this miracle, uh, John chapter 6, and uh, let's have a look at verse 21. It says, then they were willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Now, a ship doesn't get to the land immediately. It takes time. But this is another miracle here, I, I would suggest, that the ship immediately made the land when Jesus was with them. And this represents the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? It foreshadows uh, Jesus being with his disciples. It foreshadows him coming back to earth from heaven. And when there's this stillness on the Sea of Galilee, That foreshadows the nations being at peace and at rest. Now, the prophet Isaiah, again, in Isaiah chapter 32, he says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. And that's talking about the kingdom, isn't it? When uh, Jesus will um, preach God's laws, God's commandments to all the world, and uh, he's going to subdue the nations, and God's righteousness is going to go throughout this whole world. And as that verse says, the result of that is going to be peace and calmness and still in the kingdom. And that's very different from uh, the world that we live in today. Okay, let's summarise then. Um, let's let's summarise what we've learned. Uh, we've seen how this... Um, There's a couple of people in the waiting room, see if we can add those in. I can't do that. Um, so Jesus... Uh, so we've seen with this miracle that um, Jesus, when he went up to the mountain alone himself to pray it's foreshadowing Jesus being in heaven now but still watching over his 
disciples. And uh, the disciples, what were they doing? Well, they were on the ship struggling across the lake. And that's like us, isn't it? In the meeting, uh, in our lives, trying to get to God's kingdom. It's hard. And we experience difficulties and problems. But let's not forget that Jesus, on God's behalf, that he's in control of the nations. Jesus walks upon the water. And if we ask him, like Peter had to ask ask him, if we ask him to help us when we need uh, his assistance and we need his assistance in our lives at all times, then he will be there to strengthen us and to guide us. And the only way we can be with Jesus is through uh, water. Baptism is is essential uh, for being in the kingdom. Uh, We briefly touched on that. And then finally, very soon, Jesus will return to the earth to subdue the nations and set up God's kingdom.